So Murph, I, uh, I, I'm glad to bring you into this meeting here, uh, this private Daydreamcast meeting. What, what's that creature in the corner, the gray thing with the trunk? I, I, ignore him. Ignore Don't, him. We're Listen. Not... Ignore him. Just, okay. just, just he's, he's here to watch. He's a consultant. Okay. okay. Yeah. So on the Daydreamcast, Pablos and I were super about writing into the contracts that our favorite McDonald's character was the grimace okay i i can see that nothing can stop the grimace canonically <laughs> yes and i know you were super about no more heroes you tell me all the time how much you love no more heroes as a video game it, yeah <laughs> that that creature in the corner with the trunk it's looking at me directly <laughs> i said ignore him Okay, he is just here. Okay. Point is, is we're gonna cover a purple man game. Okay, we're gonna we're we're gonna deduce the identity of the purple guy. Exactly, William Afton, whomever. Point is, is I love purple dudes. Okay. Uh, what have you been up to? What have you been playing, Murph? I've I've been playing uh a few different indie games here and there, a few ones uh. Very much from the time period of our game of the week. Uh, the first game I played was Eldritch. Yeah, I think this game kind of was in the spotlight for a bit when it first came out. Uh, yeah. This is a a first-person uh, roguelike, like very much hard-set roguelike, um, set around H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, it, you're going to look at screenshots of this game and be like, that's Minecraft. Uh and yeah, it kind of is. The world is made out of blocks. You have three different worlds to explore based on different Lovecraft stories. And your basic goal is to go through them, collecting supplies, uh, avoiding monsters, until you get to the end where you retrieve an artifact. And you kind of have to do it all in one run. Because uh, if you die or quit the game, you lose the artifacts you collected and have to start from again. And I mean, like, it that sounds like so generic now, but back at the time, this yeah. was like, you know, like this was like that first initial popular wave. There that, was you know? definitely a time when people were like, indie games. Like, it was surprising, you know, like, like yeah. the time of like Fez and things. And then like Undertale came in and it's like, oh, my God, indie games can be game of the year, maybe. And now we just kind of expect that, you know? Yeah. But at the time, it was like, oh, if it's indie, then it has to be, like, alternative and good. Uh, yeah. And Eldritch was a game I played when it first came out, but I could never beat it. And then randomly, like, a week ago, I was like, I want to I wanna play Eldritch again and see if I can beat it. And I beat it in one sitting. Yeah. That sounds like, but that, but is it because like you learn so much and you're so good at it or is the game easier than you remember? I think, I think I'm just more confident than I was five years ago. You're just so good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have that steely gaze. I have that confident stride, you know. Uh, the Daydreamcast, uh, you know, forges, you know, gamers into gamers TM trademark. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Uh, no, I, I like the game. I like it's, um, I like how you scrounge for resources in this. It's very much a game where you're checking, like, every nook and cranny because picking up, like, a few extra dollars to spend at the store or finding, like, a secret vault where you can get a dagger or a blunderbuss or something. You know, that's all very cool, and you're not always being, like, pressured by enemies, um, I do think the second world is, like, surprisingly much harder than the first and third one. In the first world, your primary enemies are going to be some floating eyeballs that are very slow, or some fishmen that are, you can, like, kill with your bare hands. In the second world, you're going to be facing down little quick-flying gargoyles that shoot fireballs for half your health, 
uh, mummies that you can't kill and will chase you endlessly, and uh, statues that function as weeping angels. Like, they move when you're not looking at them, and they can kill you instantly. I mean, I think this is, like, a common thing in roguelikes, where there will be, like, levels of familiarity, or it's like, or not familiarity, but it's like, you can learn it, and you can be comfortable in it, and then there's, like, a difficulty spike. Yeah. And then after the difficulty spike, you may be riding that wave again. You know, I think of Spelunky, where it's, like, the first, like, cave of Spelunky 1 isn't hard, but, like, once you get into, like, the jungles or, like, the pyramids, it's like, oh, no, you're about to die any at any moment. Yeah, that's you know? that's my experience with most roguelikes. It's, like, it's it's the Green Hill Zone effect where, like, for the first stage or so, I'm like, this is fun. I'm enjoying this. And then once I hit that wall, I'm like, this isn't, this isn't what God intended. Gamers weren't yep. meant to struggle like this. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts? Or are we moving on to Lugaru? Okay, so you also know this one. Yes. Um, I, I knew this one. Yeah, I, this was also one where I was like, I knew it because of its early stages mm-hmm. and not its final product. Does that make sense? Yeah. So this is a Overgrowth is my other game. It kind of lumped yes. in with Lugaru because that got bundled in. Like you play Lugaru through Overgrowth now. Uh, this game was like okay. in development hell for like what seemed like perpetuity, but the concept... Like, they, they would release dev builds, and those would get a lot of buzz about them. Mm-hmm. Barta, what it is, is it's a sort of kung fu fighting game, kind of like a precursor to Sifu, I guess, where I can see that. Yeah, a yeah. lot of the combat buttons are contextual. So pressing, mm-hmm. like, a punch or kick do different things depending on how close you are to your opponent. Um, yeah. And you're all anthropomorphic rabbits, cats, rats, and wolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can do things like, you know, it's one of those things where if you're just running around kind of attacking whenever, like I do, or you just rely on the leaping jump attack, which insta-kills any enemy and is very satisfying to pull off, uh, you may not see a certain level of, like, specialness there, but if you go on, like, YouTube and look up, like, overgrowth combat videos, some people have gone, like, ham on biscuits on this game, like, doing wild shit, like, sweep kick a dude grab his knife out of his hand, throw it at his friend, and then snap his neck. Like, all in one, like, flurry of motion. Lugaru came out in, like, 2005. I just looked it up. Like, that... Wow, really? I was really? playing it probably around... I was probably playing it more like 08, 09. Um, when it was like, oh, there's gonna be a sequel, they're working on a bigger game. Like, I definitely remember overgrowing in the pipeline when uh-huh. I checked it out. But um, that being said, you're right. I think... I think what's fascinating here is is um, that intricacy of mechanics is like super satisfying, and we see that in stuff like Sifu. And there's other like hand to hand combat games that reflect that. But I think what also reflects here is like that early PC mentality of like mod support, because mm-hmm. like there's a lot of public support for this game. You know what I mean? It's definitely a game that's more about the engine. Like how, yes. like what what it can do than what the dev necessarily did with it, because there is a story to it, and it's kind of like more interesting than I thought it would be, like a tale of revenge gone wrong, and then it, it, there's like peaks and valleys and betrayals and such. Uh, it's serviceable just to put you in some different combat and platforming scenarios. The platforming sucks, uh, but when you think about like basically one dude made this. You know, from the ground up, like a com- completely their own engine and mechanics, all the way back in like you said, two thousand five. That's wild. Yeah, and like those are always like, in my opinion, like these are the games to care about. Is like one person putting their time and effort into systems or something they passionately care about to really flesh it out. Mm-hmm. And you know? yeah, like you said, there is a lot of mod support. There's like an arena fight mode that's kind of like a well, a Jedi Star Wars Academy. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And that's pretty cool because you can do things. Because then it just becomes like, okay, let's take these mechanics and throw some crazy shit in there. Kind of like that uh, game Ravensfield I talked about a few episodes back. Where people have just done some some wild mods. Like, yes, there's a lightsaber mod. There's a bow and arrow mod. There's a mod where you're fighting, like, shrunk down on top of a kitchen table and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's like it's like that G mod like feeling to it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, I miss that era of PC gaming. I yeah. think I think we've washed things over where everything's like built in launchers and shit. It's like ugh. yeah, and and the the indie games are a bit too slick. Like, what was the last? And we'll probably get into this with our game of the week and variety minute. But like, what was the last like really crunchy indie game that got big? You know. Like, I don't know. Most of, the issue is is like most of them are in launchers, and then most of them make their money after the fact mm-hmm. and make their money through transactions of things. So like skins. Like I remember playing Counter Strike or Left for Dead or something, and then like putting in my own character models and shit. And yeah, that would instead be a a thing to buy. Like you would have Goku or Shrek as a thing to download rather than a thing to buy in a season pass. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It may, it just makes me think of like, remember when Bethesda tried to monetize the steam workshop? Yeah, exactly. God, that was wild. But you know, I haven't, it's not the only game I've been playing. That's about fighting. Oh, you play fighting games. Do you? I, I, what? I am a fighting games man. Tell me about this fighting game. I have been playing quite a bit of street fighter six i am a street fighter six fan now i i i get it i get i have never played any other street fighter game before this is my first one i have now since like immersed myself in the world in the lore and the history of street fighter and i have but one question for you the veteran what's up what the fuck was up with the character models for street fighter five Look, all right. I I, I kind of hinted at this during the, like the uh, the stump prep thing. I was like, it's like Ken's hair looks like bananas. It feels they, very plasticky. They all look like so butt ugly. Like, and then, lifeless. It's yeah, all, and then all. like, and what the fuck is an Abigail? Like, what's going on there? <laughs> okay, that one is I think just a bad take. Because that one is, like, meant to be, like, he's from Final Fight. And he's, like, Hugo. He's literally, like, a, a, like a Hugo alternate. But, like, and Hugo in Street Fighter is meant to be this big character that has, like, giant pokes. Easy to hit, but can fucking hit you from across the screen with just a jab. Um, and, like, in that way. But he's also super unbalanced. And he looks fucking ugly. The whole I... game is just a mess to look they at. They look like, you know how people are, like, going around, like, look at this monstrosity I made in the Street Fighter Six character creator? That's what it, <laughs> that's what a lot of yeah. the models in Street Fighter Five look like to me. They just don't look clean. <laughs> no, but meanwhile, like, have you seen, like, the alternate outfits for Street Fighter Six characters? It's like the classic outfits, like, look amazing. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. Ryu looks so good. I know, like, the character models look great in this. It's probably, like, the best translation I've seen of, like, a real, realistic textures, but a much more cartoony, like, character models. It's a very nice middle ground, and they all animate so cleanly. Like, the, yeah, it, it, go ahead. the, the presentation for this game is, like, top-notch. You know? Yeah, no, dude, I love... I think the thing is, is, like, I, I look at, like, the character portraits. I look at the posing. I look at the facial animations. It's like Ryu has, like, the tuft of hair and the giant eyebrows, but it does look, like, so realistic. It just feels like a perfect blend of what you want. Whereas Street Fighter Four, which is, like, okay at it, and Street Fighter Five just feel like early 3D. Like, looking at them feels like looking at Virtua Fighter. Dude. Oh, yeah. It's, like, gross. But, like, in Street Fighter Six, like, you load up, like, character select and this, like, bop of a rap starts playing. Like, I've been struggling, I'm surviving, I'm fighting in the streets. <laughs> <laughs> it's got so much style and attitude, which is uh-huh. super important for presentation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like I wanted to get this game initially just because of its presentation its visual aesthetic looks so crisp and clean and good and then i stuck around because they made it much easier for fighting game spazzes like me to learn combos and things with the introduction of very good labbing tools and modern controls so tell me like what 
is that what sold you? Is it it was it able to click in your head? Oh, fighting games are fun, or was it like oh, Street Fighter is fun? Like what made you fall in love? I think it's like the first time I've ever been able to cancel from like a normal into a uh, a special. And part of that is because modern controls is like one button specials, you know, but it's like for the first time I could actually see like the frame data, you know, before that, like I could play Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat's a game where to me, it feels like the specials and the fundamentals are very separate because you're, because they have like set combo, um, like paths, like Square X Square does a very specific, like, animated combo, you know? Yes. Where, and then you can just, like, bop out a special, which is usually a zoning tool of some sort. But mm-hmm. here they're meant to, like, mix and match together, you know? And by yeah. ma- by removing the need for me to having to, like, input quarter circles, half circles, uh, Z inputs and stuff, I can actually combo together and think about my approach and strategize much much better and also pay attention to all the various like ui elements like my drive gauge my super gauge uh and stuff like that it's just like you know i there will always be a side that's like doing inputs makes you like that's just the way it has to be done you know it's a skill gap thing and i do get that and i'm not saying like every game needs to be modern controls now in fact for street fighter like i I'm one of those that's like very clearly there are some characters that modern controls work for and others where you probably need to play classic. Like Lily, my main, she's she she's a new character and it's pretty clear she was made like to sell modern controls. The difference between her and classic is you lose like a few jabs, but nothing yeah. like fundamental from her kit is gone. Whereas like characters like Chun-Li and Dalsim who can do so many things, they are severely gimped by going down to a simpler control scheme, you know? And even and even on classic controls, I want to stress, Chun-Li and Dalsim are, I would say, safely, especially Dalsim, the hardest characters to learn and understand, even if you can do the inputs, mm-hmm. right? Like, we are, like, you're beyond that. You need every tool to really comprehensively utilize the character's game plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and it's basically the more straightforward a character's, like, kit is, like, what they're meant to do in battle, the better modern controls work for them. Which just so happens I'm a very straightforward person when it comes to fighting games, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and... uh and you you basically picked up Lily, which is like I'm get it's like a rush down grappler. Yeah, she she right? rushes you down. She has a few different types of uh, rushes, like an upward diagonal, downward, and then just a straightforward one. And basically, if you block her, then she can get you with the command grab. And that's kind yeah. of her gameplay. She has very good pokes for stopping people from charging her in. She also has a wind stock mechanic, which you can combo into pretty easily. Uh, it's great fun. And then and then I picked up Guile. Uh, because I thought it would help me learn how to play defensively. Beautiful. Mwah. I'm so proud of you. What have you learned with Guile? I I did much better with Guile than I thought I would. Uh, basically, it, it just, like, the game can be as slow as you want it to. You actually don't yeah. need to get in your opponent's face. Yep. You said, here's the thing is like, I think fighting, especially Street Fighter, allows you to set the pace depending on the matchup. Mm-hmm. And Guile is defensive characters and zoner characters for me, I love because you set the pace in such a different way. I love them for yeah. that purpose. And, and learning Guile actually made me understand charge inputs in fighting games. Because yes. previously, I was like, when am I ever going to have time to just hold back for two seconds? And now I'm like, oh, holding back is part of the actions that you're already doing. Exactly. Yeah, and that all clicked into place. And I rose through the ranks pretty quickly with Guile, but then I switched back over to Lily. And now it's like, I feel like the training wheels have come off. I've, I've, dropped, my, I've dropped my leg weights. I can, I can play efficiently now. Yeah, I, I think you're going to continue. I think that's like the magic of fighting games is, is like there's secretly, even for me now, there's like 
a million training weights that are still there whether it's like character strategies or combo styles or like etc etc and the moment you break through and it clicks for you you feel the growth as a player you can go back and just be like oh i fucking i understand this now yeah and you are better at the game and now because I'm riding on that, like, high of, like, I'm having fun with these characters now, I want to play, like, other characters. I want to play, I want to play Chun-Li. I want to, like, you know, get good at, like, pokes and having, like, a really uh, utilitarian kit. I want to play Kimberly and do, like, mix-up stuff. I want to play Zangief and just grab people, you know? And because I'm already having fun with the game and I know I can fall back on characters i'm familiar with like guile and lily i'm not so worried about switching over to like doing classic controls now because if i had just gotten this game and they didn't have modern controls i'd probably be having fun with the visual aesthetic of it but i wouldn't be getting good you know yeah and i mean i guess that goes so well into like the tutorial stuff for new players and how how much it's breaking barriers i think this is like a new era for fighting games because i think a lot of things are going to take pages from this i don't it, necessarily think it is the most intensive tutorial thing for like more advanced labbing but that being said for like anybody who just like mashes buttons in whatever game they were playing before i think this is a breakthrough yeah and it seems like every couple of years there's a fighting game that comes out that people are like, oh my god, this one's so like user friend, like newbie friendly. They really teach you how to play, do combos. And if you go back to some of those earlier ones, it's like th the bare minimum they do is like explain what the mechanics are and give you yeah. some like some combo trials to do. You know, it's not not really that great. No, but like to talk about it a little bit there are specific eras and times where a fighting game releases and people start to feel things i think arc system works is a little different and operates in a different space in that because it really started to become dominant in like the late 10s but like street fighter 4 in 2008 i think it wasn't easy but instead what appealed to so many people was a sort of more basic back to roots back to street fighter 2 style and i think six also plays with a lot of those elements as well where it's like everyone in the roster you can understand even if you're not playing as them when you're fighting against somebody you figure out their game plan and it's uh -huh. very intuitive in that sense and then with like say mortal kombat i think mortal kombat and soul caliber were um exemplary in creating and forging single player campaigns in a yeah. really engaging way that even in street fighter six, I don't think they nail, even though they hyped it up a lot. It's, um, it's so, a yeah. different kind of single player experience because something like mortal Kombat or any nether realm, like story mode, it's like cutscene of people expositing to each other. And then a fight happens. You know, yeah, and then where, it's a fight with a character you don't play, and you're like, I'm going to match their specials. Yeah, whereas here, hurt. it's like, it's a game, you know, for lack of a better yeah. word. You dropped into these hub worlds, and it's kind of like a Yakuza game, where you're running around, you're picking random fights, you're doing little quests. There are, like, kind of, like, puzzles you can do. I was very thrown off when I climbed a ladder, and on the roof of a building was just, like, a random superhero guy. Yeah, <laughs> no, that guy, yeah. Like, they hide they hide such little cool things in there. I think the problem is is like I think the presentation really starts to falter and I don't think that combat system is necessarily well like it doesn't feel polished. No. Does that make sense? The random fights definitely like it's not a system designed for these kind of like bite-sized fights. You know? Yeah. But I think the trade-off is like you get to like be in the street fighter world which is like like fighting game worlds are insane right like inherently yeah. like it's it's worlds just like entire like tekken street fighter mortal Kombat, whatever like dudes are just assaulting each other on the street with like crazy magic powers and stuff and this is like the first 
experience I've felt where it's like, no, this is how this world would function. Like, fighting is an economy here. It's like Pokemon. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's so fun, too, because, yeah. like, they don't, they don't treat it as, like, some sort of menacing violence. It, 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 it's, like, it's just fun. It's, it's a friendly thing. Yeah, like, they, they, like, Luke, who is, like, the poster boy for the game, his his backstory is like he's a he's a private military soldier and things, so he's probably killed children. But like, <laughs> you're okay. Good but lead. the vibe the vibe you get is that he doesn't use like he was out there sandblasting dudes. You know, he wasn't out there with an MK7. <laughs> yeah, no, and also I think the thing is is and I think this ties into the themes of Street Fighter Six and just the general themes of fighting games in general. Is is I think the appeal is both in growth as a player is like this is not an rpg even though the single player is where you can just grind and the number goes up and then you're better it's Mm. something where you have to learn and take time and grow but then also because of the roster or because in the single player you can customize your moveset it's sort of player expression when you have a main you feel personally attached to the main you're like this is this is how my brain works when i play this game you can you can join their like jury feet club exactly exactly murph uh yeah i'm just i'm gonna keep playing this pretty much for the rest of the year like um, i'm looking forward to like the dlc characters how how big do you think this roster is gonna get so judging by street fighter 5 which was not a successful game yeah they made like 25 characters for that okay. so like judging by like they're probably gonna bring four out a year four or five out a year um, and I think they're going to do it because this game is successful. I think they're going to do a really good job. I'm excited what? for them. I will be playing them throughout its lifespan, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. What what I'm thinking of is, like, the characters have, like, so much to them, like, individually, you know. Like, the pre-match, you get to do, like, the little funny faces to each other. And every character yes. has a stage. They have a they have music track. In the world tour mode, you they can become your master with cutscenes and they texts they send you. That's what I'm wondering is is like when you incorporate a DLC character, do they become part of world tour mode? You know what I'm saying? Is Akuma gonna send you memes? That would be so funny. That would be the funniest thing ever. I think E Honda and Ryu are already funny in world mm-hmm. tour mode. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I'm so excited. I also played with Will Berger, the guy that uh, was in our Link's Awakening episode. He beat me uh, pretty soundly. Although I did, I put on some rounds. Like I was like, okay. okay um. Okay. And I, I, I think his big, his biggest complaint was the menus, which I agree with. The fucking menu navigation in this game it's, is a fucking nightmare. Yeah, it menus nested within menus. Like when you and I were going up each other, just like the act of getting an invite for a custom room was nightmarish. So, so like the, here's an example of the logic. A friend sends you a custom room invite to where you can join them privately. You might think, Oh, I will press a button on my profile or my friends list. And I may see invites. No, 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 dear viewer. Instead, you have to go to custom rooms, go into the custom room, like options, and then look into that menu for invites none of the none of the overlays in which describes you or your matchmaking or your friends will give you that invite uh-huh yeah yeah it's like and having like how you change like your character's like title card when you get matched oh, with right. someone in rank that's like also nested several levels deep which is disappointing because that's like one of that's like a fun thing to do it's like mix, mix and match various elements to give yourself a unique title card. Yeah, like you play so much of the game and you get these little things. It's like, oh, that's cool. I wish the game would tell me how to access these rewards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my God. Anyways, I still love the game. I would recommend it and I will play it forever. We should yeah, see. Yeah, I definitely, um, I, big thumbs up from Murph. Good. Um, Are we ready to get to the variety minute? Yeah, we're going quick this episode. We're going real fast. (laughs) 
do 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 okay this week's variety minute is horror rpg maker games now murph i'm gonna let you take the lead on this okay there are some i have played but i'll pop in when appropriate okay so kind of like to our earlier discussion about like when indie games really blew up like i feel there was this weird time i'm gonna say from like 2012 to maybe 2014 where a good chunk of that were games made in rpg maker which was this programming like game making software commercially available through steam where you could make like very default rpgs you would ostensibly load in your own assets but it came like pre-made with programming to do like menus battle systems etc and some people took those tools and made horror games out of them and they would have that top-down like snes rpg aesthetic but with more more of a focus on uh chase sequences and puzzle solving and maybe like some dialogue and story as well and so, like, at the time, like, I didn't play, I admittedly didn't play that many, but I watched a lot be played because I was subscribed to Markiplier at the time, and I knew these games were kind of, like, blowing up. If we're talking about, like, non-horror ones that got big, like, To the Moon, I know is a blind spot on me, on my, like, game's radar, that, like, it, that's, like, the game that makes everyone cry. That's all I know about it. Okay. I think RPG Maker in general is also one of those things that it's like it allows so many independent developers to be able to engage with the system and tell stories without being intensively deep into programming. I've made little fucking stupid RPG Maker stuff. Yeah. Like that is, if you're wondering the limit of my game dev, it is RPG Maker style shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, and I mean, I think there's a lot there dramatically or comedically or whatever like even early on i'm i'm just pro like a bunch of the random shit that came out but um like 2018 came out with um fear and hunger which is like a pseudo uh horror game so like that one uh like content warnings aside i think is very interesting in terms of horror and um even like going back to what you said um space funeral i think what's interesting about rpg maker horror games is and we'll get to it when we get to our topic of the week is it's hard for them to because they have such limited tools to be able to scare you so they Mm -hmm. have to go for unique gimmicks or jump scares or very specific ideas so for space funeral a lot of it was on the wacky side so it's very colorful, but it's colorful in a jarring way. So that jarring becomes the horror. Mm-hmm. I think there's something like... Because a lot of these games are released free, um, and later down the line, they got like full remakes. Like I know, um, I feel like it was like two years ago, Ebe got like a full clean remake and was even like featured in a Nintendo Direct, which was wild. You, you know that Chinese like action game from Sony um that showed up on the sony thing it's like all gray but it's like it's like a chinese action game yeah that was an rpg maker game really that's literally like that is literally like a remake to an rpg maker game that's why like yeah a lot of these are like you know put a pin in like rpg maker horror games have like weird like lives <laughs> in japan where they like go on to have movie franchises and things um but like to me these games kind of occupy my the same brain space for me as like you know really well down flash games or like minecraft adventure maps where it's working within a level of artifice where you can very clearly see the hand of the author and that's like there's something intensely charming about that and an experience you don't get from like even like bigger commercially released indie games or or AAA games, because there's something in the the cobbling of different assets that can, for a horror atmosphere, lend to a, like a feeling of uncanniness. Like, uh, one of the games I know, like uh, what was the Crooked Man, which is like much more a take on like Silent Hill, um, 
but there's like a bit where you hear a woman crying from the other side of the room uh, from the other side of a door and like narratively it's supposed to be like this very soft sobbing but like the sound they go with is like this very like I don't know I'm being murdered crying sound and there's something just so off-putting about that it's like poorly mixed and like compressed and there's like a crunchiness to it that like lends itself to the horror yeah i mean like what's so beautiful and you talked about this when you talked about the faith trilogy is horror in gaming goes beyond um the normal aesthetic trappings that we would see in any other medium it's not cobwebs that scare you it's technology malfunctioning yeah or other things that break the medium or break the immersion you know what i'm saying yeah and i and i also think to touch on what you said regarding seeing the artifice because these are often personal projects it allows you to engross yourself in the story more it's almost playing like a one-man D show where the dungeon master is bleeding their heart out to you mm -hmm. like for instance like when i'm looking at these lists i see the lisa the joyful or like the original like lisa games and i don't necessarily think they're like i wouldn't put the horror genre on them even though they are horrific in content yeah you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. they are much more dramatic and just violent in content but it is still very artistically valid there's also something like like this is done an RPG maker, which is meant to, like, evoke, like, SNES RPG games, like, like Final Fantasy VI or what have you. But were there even horror games on the SNES or the Genesis or what have you that had this aesthetic? This, like, uh, top-down RPG 16-bit aesthetic? Not not really. I mean, ultimately, there, there were Super Nintendo horror games like we covered um, Clock Tower for instance. Yeah, Clock um, Tower is definitely but, one I thought of, especially with our game of the week. But, yeah, yeah, that's true. But, um, but like, also, I think of, like, especially regarding RPG Maker games, it's always specific moments in famous RPG series that, like, touch into horror, and especially, mm -hmm. like, Earthbound, because Earthbound yeah. isn't a horror game. It just has, like, a horror, like, esque ending, but is also an auteur vehicle. So, yeah, because there is, like, something, like, Earthbound, I think, is definitely the genesis, or the Super Nintendo, however you want to phrase it, of this whole idea where everyone's going, like, what if Earthbound, but, like, a little more fucked up, right? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you'll see that with, like, Yumi Nikki, where, where um, you know, Yumi Nikki is an interesting one and will probably one day be in, like, a Season 7 Daydreamcast episode. But, like, that one breaches into, like, Walking Simulator, LSD Dream Simulator territory, mm -hmm. where, like, there's no fail state, but it's just imagery. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and, But also, like, just in level structure and map design, for me, really feels like the original Mother game. Um, mm -hmm. Where there's like labyrinths and just like slogs, but are very intentional slogs. Yeah, and there was this, uh, what was it, a year ago, that game Amori? Is that right? Yes, I, yeah, I played Amori. I don't know who it's okay. by. But, but Amori also touches into that earthbound zone, but also touches into like feelings. And aesthetically, I think that's the other important thing, is because, because RPG Maker is so limited in mechanics, aesthetic has to carry a lot of this and for omori the the drawn elements to it and the colors really pop like i would tell the viewer to just like go and see gameplay of omori and you'll be like oh my god i see it yeah um, so it's yeah. definitely something like like very early like ps1 horror games like like the first resident evil where you know it is limited mechanically and aesthetically like, like, visually. So it has to go very hard in on, like, the camera angles, the sound design, everything. Like, mm -hmm. when you're in that, that dining room and that clock is so damn loud. Yes. It's, like, obscuring yep. your thoughts. Like, that is, like, the essence of working within the limits for video game horror. Or, or like, breaking your expectations. Like, for Resident Evil. And, I mean, like, we can get into this, but RPG Maker does this a lot 
is is like you'll think like an environment is static resident evil has like pre-rendered backgrounds Mm -hmm. but like when the dogs pop out of the windows you're not ready for it yeah the jump scares become really effective and like even even if you i don't personally find jump scares to be a cheap get um i think they are essential in some ways so i think rpg maker games balance between atmosphere and the jump scare yeah like are there any that you feel are particularly stand out to you that you just want to highlight or did you I already mean, say I've, ar- I've already highlighted most of them i the only other thing i would say is is probably the only other influence would be visual novels i think rpg makers were a visual novel tool i something like go ahead I was going to say, like, definitely, you can feel the influence on RPG horror maker games on Doki Doki Literature Club. Exactly, yeah. Uh, The game I want to, like, I feel stands the strongest from that, like, mid-2010s batch is definitely Eeb. That's just a very interesting story and horror conceit of, like, this little girl, she's wandering, like, a museum art exhibit... And then she becomes lost in it, and it changes, and there are, like, creatures coming out of the paintings and things. Um, Mm -hmm. And that one, like I mentioned earlier, that one got, like, a full remake that's, like, available on Switch with, like, completely new assets and everything and multiple endings. Um, That's great. Like, uh, the biggest blind spot for me is Corpse Party, which is kind of like Dankenrampa, where I just don't really... It's, like, impenetrable from the outside. I just know there's a lot of content to it. Yeah. Yeah, no, but, like, that's what I mean by the visual novel part. Is, is like, sometimes you can lean heavy on the text and the plot to to really carry things. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And then the other thing I wanted to say is what's important. And uh, I, I've talked a little bit with Brendan about this. I think Brendan's going to do a horror video eventually on The Crawl. But... It's interesting that RPGs have a natural conflict with horror. Um, Even though RPGs are very immersive as a protagonist, um, because the numbers go up, that means if you fight a rabbit enough, you become strong enough to handle whatever the fuck you're seeing in front of you. So a lot of these games directly don't deal with combat. Combat is, is... not is like superfluous it's not it's either not important or not there at all because it's not a goal yeah it's very telling when i think of like the main like ones off the top of my head crooked man mad father witch's house eeb those are all games where you play as like either little girls or little boys like you you are you're only tools are to like escape and solve puzzles except for mad father where you get a chainsaw but yep Yep. vulnerability is so important in horror but growth is so essential to the rpg idea so they, they are naturally at odds so it's always interesting to see how they manifest in an rpg maker game Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and do we want to discuss that further in our game of the week i think it's time got a phantom right. burp there you go it's not coming the all fan- right our game no, of- solid six the phantom burp go ahead our game of the week is Ao oni Ao oni is a horror game made in rpg maker originally released in 2008 by dev no props and then updated yearly until the final and most popular version released in 2011 The game is about four middle schoolers that get trapped in a mansion with a mysterious blue demon, or Ao-Oni, and must escape as they are picked off one by one. The game features puzzle solving and chase sequences with increasingly inventive jump scares. Released as freeware, the game gained popularity in the mid-2010s as YouTubers like PewDiePie and Markiplier played them. The game has gone on to have numerous adaptations in light novels, multiple animes, and even a live-action movie series. With that all said, Brogan, what did you think of Aoni? They call him blue in the game. He's clearly purple. It's like a violet, like roses are red, Aoni is blue. So are you. This game was okay. I mean, number one, for a free game in its era and for the time span... 
Um, I think this is good. Definitely worth playing and is pleasant. Um, do I think it is always effective? No, but it doesn't wear it out. It's welcome either. No, and I think that's like super key to it that this game can be beaten in like maybe an hour if you know what you're doing. Probably way less. I beat it in yeah. two hours. Um, what's interesting to me is of like the games we highlighted in the variety minute this is like the least high concept of any of those rpg horror maker games this is also one of the least visually like intensive like the monster himself is like a just like a photoshopped manipulated face yeah and it has just this plinky like string music as like the chase music but it's also, like, very – there's something, like, evocative is not the right word, but memorable. Like, I I think about – like, to me, that's, like, an icon of horror to me, weirdly, because it's I, so I, distinct, and it's so, like, grotesque in how it's, like, photoshopped. I think when you were cite like, you're right, you were not wrong when you were citing Super Nintendo RPGs as a primary influence on RPG Maker titles, and even RPG Maker Horror titles, but you know what vibe I actually get from this game? I get Newgrounds Flash and, uh, like, Jeff the Killer vibes, right? this straight up feels like like a creepy pasta. Like I got this yes. weird floppy disk titled Awoni, and I played it, and then the Awoni crawled out of my computer. Like yes, it's much more focused on a very specific era of the internet and how horror functioned then. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's really effective in that sense. I think it's super important in that sense. Yeah, and then, like going back to what I said about like the cobbling of assets and how that can actually generate a very unnerving atmosphere like when you're playing this game and you're exploring this mansion the door sound effects are so loud and compressed and then there's like also this weird like ambient breathing sound that's like the soundtrack until the oni appears and then it's that discordant string music yeah and it's always like very interesting when you hear like even the sound design for instance okay let me let me now describe something so let's say you're walking around and 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 the oni jumps out at you your strategy is typically to go to a closet and go inside the closet and close the doors before he gets in the room or else he'll know you're in the closet and just wait and you have to wait for the door to open once have him breathe a little bit with the music playing or whatever and have him close the door and then you can get out and everything is silent then and you sort of breathed it easy but also you can't go to the same closet twice in a row or anything Mm -hmm. yeah and that's like you know that's a very basic like mechanic like oh the monster has seen you go and hide but it's still like effective because of how it presents like when you're when you close the doors in the closet your screen goes completely black all you have is that sound design um yep And, and it's also the time where you actually like i think in the overworld the Oni is not scary. At least the initial Oni is not scary. Yeah. Um, where he's just like this stick figure goofy guy. But in that specific moment where he is staring at you, um, like looking you in the face, and you've if he's looking you in the face, you've already lost unless you're behind the jail cell bars. Um, it, it That is where it legitimately pays off the face. Yeah, because there's something just like, like the gro- the grotesqueness of it is like oh I don't like looking at that stop showing me that like yeah. you know and it you're right it definitely has like that creepy pasta like Jeff the Killer vibe to it um and I also think it's helpful that like the game changes pace at a certain point like I like mm-hmm. the idea of the different characters become onis and then by the end of it there's like an entirely different kind of oni the block oni he only appears like once but he's like he is legitimately scary because his game plan changes I, he's fast I love the block oni because of how he reveals himself he slides into the room like Kramer and you're, yeah. and you, it, it, there's even like there's a beat there's a pause after he's revealed before gameplay resumes where you're just just allowing the player to understand what they're looking at this weird cube with two feet and teeth i think there's a humor to this game that's really important 
in multiple ways that we can cover later, but yeah. Yeah, definitely, because there's that intersection of comedy and horror that's, like, prevalent yeah. in a lot of, like, horror franchises, not just games. Like, how the Oni will pop out in certain areas. Like, he'll jump out of a closet, or he'll burst through the floorboards. But not not all at once. He'll poke his head out through the floorboards, see you're there, and then pull himself out. And then yep. the chase resumes. Like, those are all good. Uh, my favorite jump scare is, is, like, the final one where your friend turns into one in your menu. Yes, that's classy. That's that's a great scare. And I like the, like, <laughs> <laughs> there's just so many good little moments. It's like, like, the game as a whole, mm, but, like, as a series of, like, connected, like, horror moments i think it works very well it it reminds me a lot of like last year i read a lot of junji ito mangas yeah and junji ito is this guy who has like a lot of really good horror ideas but they don't amount to much more than hey wouldn't it be fucked up if you know yeah wouldn't it be fucked up if there were these balloons that had people's faces on them and they had nooses for strings and they were trying to kill the people whose face they had it's like, yeah, that would be fucked up. What what am I supposed to do with this information? <laughs> um, yeah. And there's just, like, something to that because it's like, there's no lore here, right? Like, maybe you could make, like, an assumption, but not really. It's it's so bizarre. I think I think it's, like, yeah, I don't, I don't even engage on this in a lore level, but there is, like, a jail cell with, like, a bunch of Onis, and then when the Oni kills your friends because you have multiple friends in this game um they become onis they visibly become onis with their wigs yeah the wigs are so funny um yeah that's a that's a feature that's like distinct to this version because i played the previous versions and that's something we didn't really touch on in the variety minute is like one of the appeals from an archival standpoint for RPG horror maker games is they often have multiple versions as they're updated and changed. And like versions can be wildly different. Uh, the three main versions of this game are like structurally similar, but like the story actually starts out somewhat complicated. And then each version, it gets reduced and reduced down to this. Like the story in the first one is like you and your friend are walking home from school and then like four bullies catch you and all of you, it like force you to go inside this mansion. And then you all become trapped there and you take turns playing as your friend and the main character Hiroshi. Uh, oh, see, and I think it's so effective to just stick with Hiroshi and just yeah. have your friends be cliches, where it's like, I'm the scaredy cat. I'm, you know, this or that. Mm-hmm. I think it works. Out. I'm the girl. Uh, yeah. In in the uh, version that was released just before this, uh, you could actually save all your friends, like they would join your party, and you could get a good ending by escaping with them. What? Why do you think they changed that? Um, I think it's genuinely just, they probably had the idea of, hey, wouldn't it be a little scary and goofy if, I almost said scroofy there, um, if, like, the Oni turn if your friends turned into Oni, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it feels lonelier, it feels scarier in that sense. I think it works off and pays off better. I think, uh... And that one's also, like, much more complicated with the puzzles. Like, that one I actually had to look up a walkthrough because some of the puzzles got really, like, Silent Hill level of you need to know, like, the verses of Shakespeare to solve this puzzle uh, puzzles. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the version before that got, like, the story got, like, a little weirder towards the end where at one point your character's like, I need to sleep. And you go upstairs to the bedroom and just lie down in one of the beds and you have a dream sequence where the Oni comes in and it's like, Hiroshi, it's me. And it takes off its like head and it's like a costume your little sister is in. Then all your friends come in with a birthday cake and sing you happy birthday. (laughs) And then you wake up. Then you wake up and go to because there's a thudding sound and you go to the room one over and there's that that one swole Oni. It's just bashing your friend's head in. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, what was your favorite area? Um, you know, I like the the annex area, the area you find the block man in. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of like the initial house, but particularly the second half, not so much the first half. I think the first half is a lot of item collecting. Mm-hmm. You're collecting the plate. You're collecting the little, like the, the keys to open the house. Yeah. Once you get to that second bit where you have to go into the basement, um, or like you have to start going into the basement and you're really not sure when the Oni is going to jump out scripted. Yeah. And also it is probably the time where there is like a major tension in escaping the Oni, because I don't know about you, but once I got past that part and once I was able to get into the basement, the Oni's until the block was super easy to dodge yeah. or like super easy to avoid. And then, like, once you go back, like, two screens or whatever, they go away. And then I'm like, I don't even have to hide. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a feeling of, like, familiarity lessens the horror. And I think that's yeah. why the dev resorted to having the Oni, like, jump scare you in increasingly random ways. Um, yeah. Well, it also helps that the house itself is very tight corridors to where you can't juke. Juking is not super possible that was but it's more i can definitely say in the older versions those hallways were wide like wide uh, um probably to make those chase sequences easier because in those older versions uh the oni didn't always have a timer on when it would stop chasing you you had to hide gotcha i see i think that would be better though because i think the timer is sort of i don't know a nothing thing the only time i was ever like scared in the second half was was like there was one time i went to the block oni it was like i was like finally trying to figure out how to beat the block oni because block oni like killed me like twice i was like all right i'm gonna run outside i'm just gonna keep running outside and i'm running back then my friend attacked me like the second oni came oh out. yeah and when there's when there's two onis you're like oh shit uh-huh yeah yeah um <laughs> What, what do you think of the puzzles? Or are they just so RPG maker horror level that they're not even of note? Um, I think the item ones regarding, like, the dolls are fine. I mm. think it's all very standard. Like, break the statue to get the, the thing and then do this and that. Oh, That's you figured out like... how to break the statue, eh? I had to look that up. I had completely forgotten the solution. And if I hadn't remembered getting mad at where you put the light bulb from an older playthrough, I would have never figured out that's where you put the light bulb. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, the thing I had to look up was, um, and this is going to sound so dumb because it seems obvious in retrospect, was was the fake door has the doorknob. Uh, And I I, I, I was like, where the fuck do I get a doorknob? I love the fake door. I love that gag. You go up, you're in a room, and there's a door up there. And because it's an RPG game, you have this top-down perspective. So you're like, oh, I'll go up to the door. And then it just opens, and there's a wall. Luigi's Mansion has that. It's so funny. Yeah. And I think... Oh, my gosh. Go ahead. Like, I wouldn't want this as anything but what it is, you know? Like, if they were to, like, do this as, like, a third-person, over-the-shoulder... Resident Evil 4 style horror game, it just wouldn't work because it needs that top-down perspective. It needs the Oni looking so goofy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think this is clearly, like, one of those things where it's, like, it's a product for its time, but it should not be out of... Like, you should not try to modernize it. Like, this this is meant to be a time capsule type game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's just so fascinating because it's... It's such a time capsule of a different time in horror. Like, before FNAF even came out, you know, before everything was trying to be... I think it was everything was trying to be Slender the Eight Pages. Then everything was trying to be Corpse Party. And then everything was trying to be FNAF. And we're still kind well, of in what that about period. everything was trying to be SCP? I feel like SCP is, like, a... In conjunction with the Slender. Well, that's possible, yeah. I, I, I think that's fair. Yeah. But, I, but either way, it's like this was like this was before that, right? Mm. This was this was its own era of flavor. And I think even like the models of the normal characters are just like so 
it, it's close to generic and like the actual environments look a little cartoony but in a good way like i again it reminds me of a flash game it mm-hmm. reminds me of playing like a fucking Newgrounds game. And I think yeah, and if this game had like come out today, there would be like, oh, get your get your oni plush, and let's let's dissect <laughs> the the Awoni lore, you know. Well, like as a franchise, you know, how did this expand as a franchise? It is so buck wild. So like, I don't know, because you mentioned we mentioned like every now and again something will come out of japan and it's like oh that's based on an rpg horror game and it's like what and so just like glancing over the awoni like fan wiki this game four light novels six junior novels with names like awoni zombie amusement park awoni on skull island (laughs) um yeah, an anime and a series of an- like anime shorts, like comedy shorts, which are actually very amusing because they-, they play on the mechanics of the game. And then two live-action films. The second one they hyped up by having the block Oni in. And that is wh- hype, though. And the perspective, from what I can gather, all those adaptations take a perspective of like a meta thing, where it's like, it is that creepypasta thing of... Oh, it's a game within the universe, but now the game is real. We're either trapped in the game, or the game is influencing reality, and the Oni is breaking through, and that sort of thing. Does the humor pop up in that? That I can't say. I I, I didn't read really like novels. Or is this novels. like some Ouija truth or dare shit, where it's like the game is real? If you die in the game, you die in real life. From what I, other than those like anime comedy shorts. I mentioned I think yeah. the horror movie I think the live action movies play it straight as far as I can tell like I've only watched the trailer in like a brief video synopsis um it's kind of hard to get stateside you know um yeah. and then the light novels they seem very bogged down in the lore but their own lore that like Awoni the game is like a MacGuffin in if that makes sense Sure. Like it's Maybe. this it's this eldritch object and the guy who made it is setting up like IRL Awoni mansions to channel demon energy into the game or what have you. I don't <laughs> Yeah. You know, you you know what's so interesting is is I feel like an intruder to this house. Technically I am. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like I feel like I don't necessarily want to say the Oni is sympathetic, but the I think the Oni is meant to have an aspect to him that is just like animal, like animal in a corner or animal threatened in its mm-hmm. home. You know what I mean? There's definitely, I was thinking about this before we recorded. It's like, y- you could replace the Oni with like a dude with a bag over his head and a chainsaw and it would still like, everything would scan the same, you know? Like, yeah. Like it's like don't breathe. It, yes. <laughs> you you exactly. No, it is like don't breathe though. Where it's like technically I'm the offender in this, but obviously what the the villain is doing is horrifying. So like, oh, I gotta get out now. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. yeah. There is. I also wanted to say I played the South Park version. I I did too. Of this game. Yeah. That so, is so silly. So what for happened? this version of the game. If you give, because you can rename your main character, Um, if you give them specific names, they kind of work as cheat codes. So there's like, if you put in like God mode, then the Oni can't kill you unless it's like a scripted sequence. So you just walk around the house with the Oni following you. It's kind of a, it's it's a bit funny. Uh, But if you put in South Park, then all the character sprites are changed to like South Park models. And the Oni itself is changed to a South Park like design. And it's like a complete parody of the game. It, I it, don't. It's not like it's not like the full experience. No, but it is like it's like a goofy little side thing. It's it's a fun it's a fun little thing to put in, and it's like yeah I I don't think it necessarily needed to be South Park you know I think it's like I don't 
see any specific South Park references other than, oh my god, he killed Takuro, you bastard. No, but I I think it also, like, I think it evokes something. I think it evokes that, like, simplistic element to it. Like, seeing the alternate Oni, which is just, like, this fucking... Purple dude with a smiley face. (laughs) Yeah, I think it works, because it's like, that is... That is what this game is doing on its own, but it's just like slightly. Now it's, yeah, now it's moved the comedy slider fully yes. over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 so it feels like so consistent still. Uh huh. Like my favorite gag in that is, "You son of a bitch, get that text box off me." <laughs> He's hiding behind <laughs> it. <laughs> like that's just a good gag. Like yeah, uh, and like. You know, like we were saying, that's that's fun, and that's something I feel like you would only see in a ge- in an indie game like this. You know, because yeah, it's not- like it, it it requires the lightness to be able to not only just break the fourth wall, even though sometimes it could be like trite. Like I think here, it's so playful mm-hmm. and innocent in what it's doing. You know, yeah, and I think that's just like I don't know. It was fun. I, I know our listeners uh, may have gotten like a curveball with this as a pick. Um, I would like to do an episode on Ebe further down the line. Uh, I think do, that... Yeah, we could do an RPGM episode every season or something. I think that's yeah. a good idea. Because I, th- I do think that one holds up and I do want to get that remake. But uh, th- this was a good time. I think uh, so too. It, it's like but, a it's like a little little break, little vacation in our vacation season. Yeah, yeah. It, it, Brogan, that that thing in the corner with the yeah. trunk, it's 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 pointing a gun at me. It's it's right it's writing down something. Uh, it says it's about that time. It, 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 it's it's about what the next game should be. It definitely should be. The next game should be. Let, let me let me see the envelope. Let me open it. Okay. Now, <laughs> disclaimer: If we don't play this game, it is what it is. It's no more heroes. <laughs> the the most pushed DD cast game of all time. I yes, we are doing no more heroes. So help us God. <laughs> Zelda and Street Fighter really fucked it. It fucked it hard. Well, yeah, yeah, because every time I was booting up No More Heroes, I was like, I could be climbing the ranks as Lily right about now. <laughs> I, I could be playing a good game. I like No More Heroes, but I could be playing, like, a good game right now. Or an exciting <laughs> game. Yeah. It is what it is. We will talk about it when we do. We'll play as Travis Touchdown. We'll jack off some lightsabers, if you know what I mean. And uh, see you next time. Goodbye. All right. Yeah.